We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is the state of the Suns? And should we trade for Jimmy Butler? Find out on today's episode of The Timeline. I just left. The Phoenix Suns State of the Suns address, I guess. It's like a State of the Union address for uh, season ticket holders. And I got a lot of great information to talk about. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Mike. Uh, but it sounds like you had a better night. So let's focus on yours for the most part. Well, what's interesting, we were just talking about it off mic. And I said, hey, let's just uh, record. The one thing that got the most traction of what I talked about on Twitter today was about DeAndre Ayton working with Hakeem Olajuwon, and I keep going over the clip over and over again, and now I'm afraid I can't figure out if Igor Kokoshkov is talking about he himself visiting Hakeem Olajuwon's ranch or if he's talking about DeAndre Ayton visiting Hakeem Olajuwon's, Olajuwon's ranch. First of all, <laughs> Hakeem Olajuwon's ranch is a funny phrase. It sounds like a dressing. Uh, but... Uh, I assume it would be DeAndre Ayton, unless Igor has some sort of connection to Hakeem Olajuwon. Uh, Igor does have a little bit of an accent, so it's difficult to to understand. But just to wrap wrap people up with where we are right now, in case you haven't been following everything online, I went to the State of the Suns address, which included Igor Kokoshkov, Ryan McDonough, uh, James uh, Jones, uh, DeAndre Ayton, Elia Kobo, George King, and DeAnthony Melton. Unfortunately, Mikhail Bridges wasn't there. He was sick. The idea was all the rookies and the new coach. It was really great to hear from them directly and learn about what they're thinking about the team. Uh, the thing that really caught my ear the most was the Hakeem Olajuwon quote. He talked about Hakeem Olajuwon showing clips of blocks that were missed instead of block shots that he actually got, which I thought was a great way to think about watching film. It's not just watching what you did great. It's watching what you messed up on. 
lots of interesting stuff happened on uh, in those conversations though what i liked the most was a lot of talk about the san diego trip so a lot of the suns players recently went to san diego uh devin booker trevor reza uh, deandre ayton elia kobo i'm trying to think of everyone in the instagram did you see these instagram clips uh yeah um yeah no i did it's uh was shaq harrison there as well uh, Shaq Harrison, I think Ryan Anderson was there. That's that's another. Yeah, Ryan cool thing. Anderson was there as well. They were all at the baseball game together. You know, it was Shaq Harrison, DeAnthony Melton. Um, yeah, same uh, guys. See. Ryan Anderson, Trevor Reese, Ali Akobo. They were they were all there. A good portion of the team. What I really liked about that, Tom Leander was hosting, and Tom Leander asked uh, asked them about asked DeAndre Ayton about that trip, and he said it was supposed to be a secret, but they all posted it on Instagram, which was a pretty yeah. fun quip. Welcome to 2018. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but what was cool about that is he said that it wasn't a team trip. It was a trip that was planned by Devin Booker and Trevor Ariza together. And the idea was that they would all go to San Diego together and they would work out together behind closed doors. They would actually get a sweat in together. So everyone kind of working together. Something they actually mentioned, or actually it was James Jones, I think he said, uh, that they went out there to to beat each other up a little bit which i thought was a funny way of putting it but it sounds like they wanted to get like a real workout in without the coaching staff around to try and get physical and uh, try and learn more about each other's strengths and weaknesses by not really having any spotlight on them at all practicing behind closed doors which is a really interesting thing to do and i really really think things like that really benefit the team Uh, you can you can kind of see how uh, that would be a bonding experience for everyone involved well, and I think you can also really see how the benefit of Trevor Reason, Ryan Anderson, I don't know if Tyson Chandler was there, um, but how the benefit of those veterans comes into play there, because that's the sort of thing where I don't think if this was a roster of 15 guys under the age of 25, I don't think you'd necessarily see the same uh, sort of ideas being hatched. So good for Trevor Reza to take the initiative there and plan that trip with Devin Booker in the first place. It was really fun to be around a lot of Suns fans. You know, it was an entire room. It was at the Phoenix Art Museum. It was a huge room they set up specifically for this event, all season ticket holders and me. (laughs) And everyone was having a really great time. Lots of fans, lots of jerseys, lots of people wearing gear. Um, What I thought was interesting at a certain point, they asked how many people are new season ticket holders and probably more than half of the audience raised their hands, which is an interesting thing uh, for me because we heard those reports after the draft that at that time last year they had three times more season ticket orders than uh, the previous year. So this is right after DeAndre Ayton was uh, drafted. And then to see it in person tonight and just realize, oh, these are all fans that are either maybe in some cases new fans, but other fans that are just sort of bought back in on the Suns now. It was a nice visualization of what that is. Uh, So hopefully this is, it seems like, you know, just from my personal experience, it seems like this is a reinvigorated Suns fan base. We get to see what that's going to be like going into the season and and going, you know, going to games in person and seeing what the fans are like. Yeah, hopefully that reflects in the attendance numbers uh, going into the season. And I certainly think it will, but at the same time, you know, team success, that's what it's going to come down to. And once the Suns really start winning some games because of DeAndre Ayton, I'm sure you're going to see a fully rejuvenated Suns fan base. It's actually been kind of an interesting summer because I, I think we've talked about this before, but it really feels like the hype behind DeAndre Ayton as the incoming number one pick is just 
on a national level so low compared to where the hype has been for incoming number one picks in some previous seasons. But in Phoenix, obviously, this is a huge deal. I mean, there's been huge hype around uh, sort of Arizona Rays, so to speak, prospects like DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley uh, for the past couple of years. So people in Phoenix are, are really excited about this kid. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, on, on draft night, I was at the arena. We talked about it in our draft podcast. And uh, the the cheers, every time DeAndre Ayton's name was even mentioned, were deafening. People are really ready for him. Um, so in this event, Ryan McDonough went up and talked for a while. And, and a couple things that Ryan McDonough said that I thought were interesting. The first thing is he gave a Devin... That's the first thing he did, was give a Devin Booker injury update. Because clearly, they know their audience. Uh, people are worried about... Devin Booker and what he said is Devin Booker everything's going well first of all everything seems to be going according to plan as far as uh, how good uh, a surprise surgery uh, can be planned but he he said the suitors were sutures were removed from his hand today and they're hoping that he can start uh, actually shooting by the time the preseason begins. He also said that he's able to run and move and, and actually exercise currently, so conditioning is still going on, which I know it's a hand injury, so you would think that, of course, he'll be able to run, but sometimes you're, you can't. Sometimes you have injuries like that where you need to stay uh, immobile as long as possible, but it sounds like he's able to actually do some conditioning. We saw that picture of him running a left-handed pick-and-roll with DeAndre Ayton. I assume that's something he's allowed to do now. Um, but what I thought was interesting is he made a point of saying that there was no trauma that caused the surgery. He, he actually said he didn't fall, which, of course, is a reference to uh, those fake rumors uh, <laughs> online, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. He didn't say unicycle, but it was implied. No. Everyone there knew he said he wasn't on a unicycle. Uh, he also said he didn't hit it on any, anything to injure it, so... Uh, he sort of acknowledged that it was a little weird that he needed surgery sort of out of the blue. He even talked about how he went to, to USA minicamp and he was playing with that team and playing pickup uh, ball outside of that. So I thought it was interesting that Ryan McDonough made a point of talking about that to try and dispel any sort of rumors that are out there. Well, if we could just talk about that for a second, I think it's really important that Ryan McDonough is focusing on that now because if you look back in the past, uh, of this team for the past few seasons there's a reason not to trust what management says about its players when it comes to injuries we still don't know why tj warren was out for about 15 to 20 games a couple of years ago with a mysterious head injury i, I mean i just still think about that from right. time to time we there are just holes in some of these players histories where we just don't know what happened um but i am inclined to believe this story on devin booker uh, obviously we had um dr blunt on last episode and and he seemed pretty confident uh, in Booker's future moving past this injury as well. So I, I don't think it's a thing to worry about, but it's good to have that open communication uh, with the front office. Yeah, for those who haven't heard it, uh, Dr. Blunt really set all of our uh, concerns at ease because he said there's there's really a rare, it would be a rare scenario for any long-lasting injury to, to, to be there after this surgery has already happened. So that's good to hear. And Ryan McDonough seemed to be on that same page, which, of course, we expected. Uh, the next person that spoke was actually James Jones, which was really cool uh, to see him speak. He also represented the team at the draft party in the arena, so it seems like he, he's got that role. I mean, he, he's famous, so it makes sense to sort of put him in front of a mic. Uh, but he said a couple of things. He talked about that trip. He talked about them working out behind closed doors, but he also talked about the additions of Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson 
And he said that it gave the team a professional identity, which I thought was an interesting way of putting it. So <laughs> in a weird way, it's like saying we were amateurs for a few years, and now we have a few guys that are actual pros on the team. And I get it. We we went over that list of of G-leaguers, of 10-day contracts, when we did our whole breakdown of the McDonough era. And uh, to, to have guys like Ryan Anderson and Trevor Reza on the team, now they're, they're pros. They're absolutely pros. Yeah, maybe, the, maybe they can't stay on the court against the Warriors in Game 7 of the playoffs, but they can stay on the court for 82 games if they're healthy. That's for sure. Yeah, it's not, uh, we've talked about it a million times, but it's not about... Trevor Rees and Ryan Anderson aren't the long-term solutions for this team. We know that. But it's just about giving them a competitive chance to win. And no wonder Patrick Beverly's name keeps coming up in trade rumors for the Suns. Supposedly, they don't want to part with a first-round pick. We can talk about that a little a little bit more later. But uh, talk about a professional who you could plug right in into the point guard slot. You know, Compare that to a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's maybe a little bit younger. It makes sense why the Suns would want to target uh, Beverly, not only for his on-court skill set, but also just for those intangible things that he brings to a roster. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because Ryan McDonough said, well, there was a, a few weaknesses that we wanted to address. And then he said, well, if you've been watching the team for the last few years, they were obvious, Yeah, <laughs> which I thought was a hilarious thing because it's his job. <laughs> it's his job we're talking about here. Uh you know, it's like when somebody at McDonald's says they don't ever eat food at McDonald's. It's just Ryan McDonough doesn't like the product he's putting out on the court either, which is by design, of course. We all know, uh, trust the process, you know, the timeline. We all know what it's about. It's not like he was losing by accident, but it was kind of interesting to hear him sort of acknowledge that directly and say, we had a bunch of weaknesses. The two weaknesses, you could probably guess what they were, defense and shooting the two most important things in modern NBA. 30th and three-point percentage and 30th in defensive rating. Yeah, and yeah. it was obvious, just like he said. So it makes sense that guys like Trevor Reza and uh, Ryan Anderson were on the radar. And also, we can actually talk about this now. It's on our outline, J.J. Redick as well, because J.J. Redick was recently on the Zach Lowe podcast. And just sort of as an aside, he said, oh, yeah, the, the, the people that were the – first to offer me anything tangible was Phoenix. And the first thing Zach Lowe said is, oh, that must have been before the Trevor Ariza signing. He said, no, it was after, and it involved some sort of trade to clear up cap space. And then J.J. Redick immediately moved on from that conversation. And Zach Lowe, of course, said, oh, that's that's really interesting. I didn't hear that. Well, we hadn't heard that either. But thinking about Ryan McDonough right now, he talked about shooting being something that they really needed to address. Well, J.J. Redick, one of the greatest three-point shooters out there right now, uh, he would have really helped with that. I do wonder what sort of trade would have happened in order to clear that cap space and how much money they would have offered J.J. Redick. He, he made $20 million in the in the year before in last season, so I wonder yeah, what Yeah, well, uh, he just signed a one-year $12.25 million contract with Philly, so assuming he would want the same sort of money from Phoenix... I mean, maybe the Suns had already had it in their minds on July 1st that Jared Dudley was gone. Because you remember, Jared Dudley was making $10 million. If they could have found a way to dump him earlier on in the free agency process when teams still had cap space without taking on a guy like Darrell Arthur back, that easily could have been the move that would have been made to clear cap space and, and then sign a guy like J.J. Redick. So maybe it was, okay, they didn't end up with J.J. Redick, but... McDonough already had it in his mind that Dudley was going to go. Uh, he probably wasn't too high on the idea of Big Sauce coming back as a third-string center, obviously. 
Uh, and so that's when the deal for Rashawn Holmes that happened in mid-July started to be orchestrated. Yeah, that definitely could have been it. And, and you know, we still have yeah. Darrell Arthur on the team. In fact, the, <laughs> so that's something that even, it was actually kind of interesting. There was a moment where Tom Leander, he made a point of saying there's nine new players on this team, which that was the first time I had heard that really countered up like that. There's nine new players on this team, which is kind of crazy. I don't know that any team has that. Maybe the Lakers, I, w- I would guess, maybe are the only other team with that many new pieces that's a huge, huge change. And one of those nine new players he actually listed was Darrell Arthur. He went through the whole thing. Darrell Arthur was the last one that he mentioned, and it was the least that he talked about, which is understandable. I don't think that we've had a Darrell Arthur press conference, for example. It's we haven't. I, I don't. At least I don't remember seeing one. Uh, I don't. I don't even know if we had a Darrell Arthur welcome tweet, frankly. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting that he even brought it up. Uh, as part brought him up as part of the team, you know, training camp yeah. starts soon. But you know what's funny? It's five days from now. Is Darrell Arthur probably isn't going to make the final cut, and I really don't think mm-hmm. we've even talked about him on the podcast all that much. But looking at a stat page right now, you look at the past five seasons for Darrell Arthur all in Denver. Not a very good player, but a thirty six percent three point shooter. He's had a couple of seasons, uh, like for instance, two years ago, where he shot forty five percent from three on a decent amount of volume. You could easily make the case that another addition by subtraction thing where Darrell Arthur is going to be a better role player just by virtue of being a professional veteran than Marquise Chris. You know, slide him into that backup power forward spot for 10 or 15 minutes. I think you could argue it. I don't think he's going to make the final roster, but it is another thing to consider. Yeah, I, I doubt it too. And really, it's just the amount of money that he's making. It's it's a non-guaranteed contract. It's something that we could easy, easily get rid of. Uh, so I just ex- we just we both expected him to be gone by now, and I think I still think that the only reason he's on the roster currently is because they're still out there looking for a point guard, and they need if we end up trading one of these young guys that are you know like uh, DeAnthony Melton or even Elia Kobo. I know we don't want to look at it like we we all fall, fell in love with Elia Kobo, but uh, you know for someone like. Damian Lillard, if we have to build a package, I imagine they would want a young point guard that has high potential, and Elia Kobo is that kind of guy. And those guys don't make a lot of money, so you have to have some sort of filler in order to to send something close to equal money back in a trade, depending on when these guys signed their contracts. The rules are different, so uh, it, it's kind of interesting. That I, I still think that's the only reason he's on the roster, but I'm wondering, we're going to find out in less than a week, is he going to go to training camp? Yeah, we'll see. I doubt it. I doubt it. What do you think? I doubt it. But but who knows? Maybe that was a calculated move on the part of Tom Leander. We're bringing in nine players. Darrell Arthur is one of them. So if a trade isn't orchestrated by training camp, then that's your sign right there that he's going to be there. But I just I just don't buy it. Given the you've already laid out the arguments: unguaranteed contracts, limited roster space limited forward spots certainly on this team i just don't see it right a couple of funny things that that happened <laughs> maybe my favorite moment of the night uh it was ryan mcdonough he was kind of talking about the offseason and going through everything that's sort of gone right this offseason and at one moment he really paused and then he kind of leaned in and he said you know we went four and one at summer league yeah <laughs> i loved that because it, one well, it is a good thing. No. There's no reason is, to not be a proud desperate. of that. <laughs> I know. It is just Summer League, and it doesn't it doesn't translate, right? There's no way that it's going to translate. But 
it was one of the few times that it was kind of fun to be a Suns fan for for a, a brief period of time until the devastating loss, of course. But uh, we suffered through so much for the last few seasons to see a lot of potential out there on the court and to see it sort of fitting together kind of nicely. It was a nice it was a nice week week and a half <laughs> for Suns fans. And what I what I liked about that is one, uh, it was a candid moment. He just kind of said it, but uh, two, uh, he enjoyed it just as much as we did it sounds he like. better i mean ryan's ryan's fighting for his job <laughs> right. at this point you know we can say it. and here's the thing about summer league i had a right. ton of fun watching it uh and we talked about it on the episodes we were putting out when the suns were playing those summer league games but at the end of the day we have so many guys on that summer league roster that are probably going to be making the final cut more so than most other teams who are playing a lot more uh G-leaguers who aren't actually going to make those final rosters. So can the Suns actually put it together and, and string some success together with those guys playing against the real pros come November or October, I guess, since the season starts earlier now? That's going to be the big question. Can Shaq Harrison... Shaq Harrison was a great starting point guard in five summer league games other than his inability to throw an entry pass. But his stats, for the most part, looked great. He played hustle defense. Can he be a starting caliber point guard? That's the right, big question. Absolutely. Well, what's funny is the next person that spoke in this uh, State of the Suns uh, meeting was Igor Kokoshkov. So Igor came up and he talked a little bit about how he's happy to be home. He called Phoenix home. And then Tom Leander asked him, he said, one of the hottest questions is who the starting point guard is for the team, which was a hilarious moment because the entire crowd <laughs> groaned. It was, oh. Yeah. There was... <laughs> There's such a tradition of point guards in Phoenix, and every fan is so aware of that tradition. We've had so many great point guards on this team: Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Kevin Johnson, uh, you know, Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe. You could even count those guys. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas. There's been so many say, good ones. I, I was going to say, even compare these guys to Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. It's such a steep drop. It's insane. Yeah, and what was interesting about that is. Igor made a point of differentiating between a playmaker and a point guard. And, and you know our favorite conversation we've been talking about, point book, or or I think even uh, the point forward role for Josh Jackson. And I think those are the two things that he was kind of getting at. He didn't call him out by name, but it was the most open that I've heard him to uh, the potential of other playmakers being the lead playmaker. Uh, so we'll see if that's something that could happen. But this is the closest we've gotten to some sort of confirmation that it could, right? Yeah, I, th- I think so. All right. That was at the moment where he brought up Hakeem Olajuwon and he talked about it. And we're, I'm hoping that Reddit uh, and the detectives at Reddit will or try Twitter. and figure out what Igor Kokoshkov or Twitter will figure out what Igor Kokoshkov was saying. I think the responsible thing for me to do is probably take everything down tonight and <laughs> then figure out if it's actually true. I tweeted Dave King. Dave King, if you're listening, please figure it out for us. Scott Bordeaux, we miss you. Paul Coro, we miss you. <laughs> Gina Mizell, figure it out. Those guys. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't, think, she's, I don't think she's uh, fully in Arizona yet covering the Suns. But um, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting because we were thinking about Igor doesn't have any connections to Hakeem that we know of. He never worked for the Rockets. But at the same time, Igor's been bouncing around from organization to organization for 20 years. I'm sure he's crossed paths with Hakeem Olajuwon at this point. Right. So. It would make sense for, I think, it to be either one of them being at Hakeem's ranch, as he put it, uh, for a few days. (laughs) Either way, you know, watching film, it's good for us, right? Exactly. Well, here's what's cool about it is 
if it was Aiton, that's the best possible scenario. And if it wasn't Aiton, I hope that it does happen with Aiton in the future. I think that would be a huge thing. It ha- if if we if we invested in Alex Len spending time with Hakeem Olajuwon, it would make sense that we invested time uh, with DeAndre Aiton, a number one pick, spending time with Hakeem Olajuwon. But if it was just Igor, if Igor was the only one that did spend time a few days <laughs> at Hakeem Olajuwon's ranch, which is a hilarious thing to think about, by the way. Just Igor's just sort of drinking coffee in the morning as uh, Hakeem Olajuwon makes some pancakes or something at Hakeem's ranch, because he did say a few days. Um, that's also great, because w- what that means is that our coach learned from Hakeem Olajuwon, and that's just, as, that's just as valuable to have a guy that says, this is what Hakeem taught me, DeAndre. This is what Hakeem said you should do. This is how Hakeem watches film. It's a beneficial thing for us, no matter what. But I do hope that it was DeAndre Ayton, and I hope maybe even by the time this podcast is online, we'll know one way or the other. There's no way that Hakeem Olajuwon makes his own pancakes. <laughs> I'm really sorry that you just made a great coherent point, and that's all I had to respond with, but it, all it did was lead me to look up the fact that Hakeem Olajuwon made $110 million in his NBA career, and God knows how much since then. He easily has someone at his ranch to make his pancakes, right? I mean, how how much is... If Josh Smith, <laughs> all those years... Do you remember... We're going down a wormhole now. Do you remember that viral video that the NBA channel posted once? Oh, yeah. Josh Smith eating breakfast? Yeah. Yeah, Josh Smith can do it then. I mean, who's making Hakeem's pancakes? I'm sure they're great pancakes. How much did Josh Smith make in his career? It might be more than you, more than you realize. Yeah, but the opportunities that Hakeem has had in the years since, I'm sure his net worth is still more than Josh Smith's, but... Yeah, you're right. Josh Smith made quite a lot of money. This was back when he was with Atlanta. This was um all defensive team, arguably defensive player of the year candidate Josh Smith. And he made $111 million in his career. They actually made almost the exact <laughs> same. So it's pretty funny how that worked out. But let's go back to the Suns. Yeah, funny for funny for everyone but Hakeem who made the same amount of money as <laughs> Josh Smith. <laughs> the NBA, the contracts have gotten crazy. I mean, by now it's probably... Jan Mahinmi has made $111 million in his oh, career. No. So. <laughs> uh, that's the Wizards. That's the Wizards. They're paying Otto Porter 100 and something million too. All right. So after coach and general manager and James Jones spoke, they brought the rookies on, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Elia Kobo, George King, and DeAnthony Melton. Uh, one thing they did state is Mikhail Bridges was sick. Not only did they state Mikhail Bridges was sick and couldn't make him tonight, they did make a point of saying that he hasn't been able to work out with the team uh, at least over the last week. I think that's what they implied. So get get well soon, Mikhail, first of all. And, and that kind of sucks that he hasn't been able to work out with the team. I'm sure that's that's valuable time uh, you know, to actually work out with those guys and, and sort of get that chemistry going early. Not that it won't be something that'll be made up for. I'm sure he'll be healthy by the time training camp comes. And if he's not, then hopefully it's not something a little more serious that's affecting him. Uh, but a couple things on the rookies. DeAndre Ayton is very entertaining. Uh, big surprise. I know he's hilarious. Uh, he, he calls Robert Sarver, Mr. Sarver, which is what we're calling Robert Sarver from now on, Sam, Mr. Sarver. What? He said that Mr. Sarver let do, him wait, drive his to? boat after a team dinner. Oh, no, it's, it's what we're doing. Okay. Sorry, you have All to. All right, let's do it. <laughs> it's, uh, he's the number one pick. He's the number one. He's a trendsetter. They asked DeAndre Ayton who his favorite 
NBA player to follow on social media was, and he said DeAndre Ayton. Now that's a real, <laughs> that's is, straight out of the textbook of Joel Embiid. Well, that's what's funny is they asked every player. Uh, Elliot Kobo said LeBron James. Uh, George King said Dwayne Wade. He said Dwayne Wade's his favorite player. He mentioned Dwayne Wade multiple times uh, throughout the night, which is kind of interesting that he he liked Dwayne Wade so much. It's very cool. It's a good guy to look up to, I think. Uh, and then they asked DeAnthony De- Melton, and DeAnthony Melton said his favorite person to follow was Joel Embiid, which got a huge laugh out of the crowd, <laughs> and uh, a dirty look from DeAndre Ayton. That's funny. Uh, the biggest, the biggest laughs of the night actually came from DeAnthony Melton. That dude is—he uh, seems pretty funny. The crowd seems to like him, and his arms look crazy long in person. <laughs> six four with the six nine wingspan. Yeah, him and Jack both. He's got length. Here's the thing: if if Melton and Shaq are are really gonna get, I mean, Akobo's gonna play too, but if and maybe Cannon, but if Melton and Shaq could play, the vast majority of the Suns' point guard minutes, the defense would be crazy. The steals, the transition leakouts resulting from those, insane. I mean, the offense might not look great, but defensively, those guys have some amazing talent. Yeah. Overall, it was a really great event. The Suns did a great job putting on that event. Uh, introducing the players to us for the first time was was really fun to sort of have that sort of conversation with Tom Leander leading the way. It was great to see Tom Leander again as well as as far as hearing his voice talk about the Suns. Shout out to Tom who followed me on Twitter. That was the highlight of the night for me. Uh, maybe I should message Tom and ask ask him if it was DeAndre Ayton. Actually, that that could be my way in. <laughs> yeah, potentially. No no sign of uh, Kevin Ray, Tom Chambers, other members of that broadcast crew. I looked I looked for everyone. I was looking for John Bloom, too. I still haven't gotten the chance to meet John Bloom in person. Uh, I didn't see any of those guys, but uh, there was a couple hundred people there, so they could have been there. Uh, <laughs> there was a moment where they were talking about Joe Prunty. This is kind of funny. I just remembered it now. And Igor pointed at someone in the front row when he said Joe. And all I could think was, is Joe Prunty sitting in the front row this entire time and nobody nobody figured it out? What, like no one no one led him onto the stage, you mean? <laughs> well, they didn't let him on the stage, but also no one recognized him. And I get it. You're an assistant coach, but these yeah. are season ticket holders. I mean, these are these are the, like, the diehards of the diehards. These are people who literally no one no one recognized if all the assistant coaches were there, no one recognized 2004 NBA champion Corliss Williamson. <laughs> Big nasty. nasty. Underrated acquisition. Yes. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about Jimmy Butler. How about we have that conversation? Oh, God. Let's do it. We'll be right back. Okay, thanks to Mr. Dave King, who fact-checked me. We found out that it was, in fact, Igor Kokoshkov that spent a few days eating Hakeem Olajuwon's pancakes at Hakeem Olajuwon's <laughs> ranch. <laughs> so shout-out to Dave King. I got a little worried there. It made me feel a lot better because I went on and I just deleted all those posts. And Luckily, it was only a few hours of misinformation. I don't want to be spreading fake news. It's too big of a hot topic. So now we know Igor was the one that was working with uh, with uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, learning some post moves, I guess. No, learning how to watch film. All of it's important. Um, so thanks to Dave for breaking news for us, uh, double-checking what it was. 
Um, now, let's talk about Jimmy Butler. So, another star wants out of his situation. Jimmy Butler has requested a trade from the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the obvious question is, just like when every star has asked to leave their team, it's, is this the one? Is this the one that McDonough finally puts all the chips in the center of the table for? Um, I have my answer, but Sam, what do you think? Well, first I kind of want to address the fact that I already know what everyone's answer is going to be, and that's no. Like, Suns fans hate the idea mm-hmm. of going after Butler. You can go on Reddit or Twitter and see that. And I'm conflicted on it. I wish I could give you an answer of I really want to do this or I really don't want to do this. But uh, honestly, I can see both sides of the argument because on the one hand, Jimmy Butler is going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. We know he wants to go to the Nets, Knicks, Clippers. There may be a couple of other teams on his list, as reported by Shams Jarania. Uh, we don't know if the Suns are one of those teams. And, and frankly, I don't think it's likely that the Suns are one of those teams. So the likelihood of him resigning here, he could always ditch us uh, after a year, and and that would be a really tough blow for the Suns to spend assets on that. On the other hand, the way I'm starting to feel about this after five years of, of sort of hearing Ryan McDonough go through variations of the same statement, which is we're compiling these assets to put us in position to acquire a star at some point down the line and then pass on on star player after star player, you're not going to get a guy with three or four years left on his contract in a sort of situation where his team is so desperate to trade him that the Suns can swoop in and get him. Damian Lillard is not going to be traded with three years left on his contract, for instance, uh, away from a, a good situation that he has in Portland. The types of stars that you can get if you're the Suns, especially for a lower trade value where you don't have to make a godfather offer, are players like Jimmy Butler or Kyrie Irving, guys when they have one year left on their contracts, and you sort of just have to be willing to take that gamble at a certain point. So that's a long-winded answer of, of me really saying I don't know, uh, but the, the Suns have to give it some serious thought, I think, at least, because they've they've held out for quite a long time now, and I think the main question is, can you build theoretically a championship contending core around a trio of Devin Booker, Jimmy Butler, and DeAndre Ayton if you could convince Butler to stay? I think the answer to that is yes. I agree. This is a really complicated one because the reasons that it seems like not a good idea to trade for Jimmy Butler are not basketball reasons. Because if you just look at it from a basketball standpoint, you have Devin Booker at shooting guard. You have Jimmy Butler at the three, at the wing position. And then you have DeAndre Ayton in the paint. That's a really good fit. Jimmy Butler is kind of the best case scenario for Josh Jackson in, in a lot of Absolutely. ways, right? Absolutely. He's, yeah. he's a fantastic wing defender that can defend multiple positions. But he's also developed an offensive game that sort of complements uh, Devin Booker's uh, in a lot of ways. Actually, they have, a, in, a, in a way, a very similar offensive game now that Jimmy Butler's kind of gotten a little better at playmaking. So from a basketball standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But then you start digging into it deeper, and, and there's question marks. It's a couple of the question marks. So the first one is some people think that Jimmy Butler is a locker room problem. Let's call it that. That he he causes problems at the teams that he went to, he played on. And it's, and it's fair to say that because there were problems in 
uh, Chicago, and that was with Rondo and uh, Dwayne Wade on the team. So it seems like those are those are some stars that it seemed like would sort of right that ship. It seems like it shouldn't be a shaky ride with those three guys on there, but it still was. Uh, you know, it's it was still a problem to have those three guys on a team together, and we don't know what it was. It was something with the young guys and the veterans. It seems like the locker room kind of split in half. Here were the young guys. Here were the veterans. Doesn't that sound familiar? Because that sounds a lot like what's going on in Minnesota right now, right? Yeah, it they does. Got Jimmy Butler as he, Jimmy Butler's the only veteran. That's like the 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 main difference, uh, you know. Although they have Luol Deng right now, no, uh, or they will soon. <laughs> but that doesn't count. He's asking for a yeah. The other part is a lot of the reports on the problems with Jimmy Butler w- was the problems are between Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. Well, who's Devin Booker's best friend? Yeah, you're Carl exactly Anthony right. Towns. And this is this is why it becomes complicated, and this is why following the NBA is more complicated than it's ever been. Because it's we wouldn't even have known about most of these things, you know, fifteen twenty years ago in following the NBA. It's this type of stuff would just all go under the radar. But now we sort of understand that the interpersonal relationships affect the locker room dynamics, and we have to factor that in when thinking about whether or not we as fans even want that to be uh, that trade to happen. And we know that Ryan McDonough and other general managers are thinking about that because they have to. But you brought up a report by Shams, Sharania, Sham- about Jimmy Butler and what he wants. And I think it's important to talk about those two things real quick. So the first thing is he gave a list of teams that he wanted to be traded to. And that list of teams is apparently not quite what we thought it was. Apparently, uh, it's up to five or six teams and it could expand. And so we don't know who the teams are that are on that list. We do know three teams currently, the Nets, the Clippers, and the Knicks. Those are three teams that he talked about. Those three teams have max cap space without making any moves. They have max cap space next year. That's an important note. The other thing he said is the team that he goes to, he wants to sign a five-year max extension. So this is it's important to call it a five-year max extension because he can actually get more money if it's not an extension. He can sign different deals outside of that. An extension, would it limits the total amount of money that he could potentially make uh, if he does do that. And what that means is that he wants to get locked up immediately. And keep in mind, if Jimmy Butler's traded right now, his bird rights go with him. So... There is a potential of the team that does trade for him even signing him above uh, their max, uh, uh, the actual cap. So it's a complicated thing. Here's the thing. The reason I brought up those two things. Uh, One, maybe the Suns are on the list, but it's unlikely, right? But two, the Suns don't have to do much to make that max cap space. That means that if Jimmy Butler did get traded to the Suns, we could potentially sign him to that extension that he's asking for. And that would be the only way that we do. So that means that if we do find out that Jimmy Butler is willing to come to the Suns because he knows that he can be locked up long-term and get that uh, financial stability that he's looking for, then the only thing that we're talking about at that point is the interpersonal dynamics. Because what it is, if the basketball works and if we can lock, lock him up long-term then we don't have to worry about those two things. So what's that third thing? It's the mental aspect of the game. So how much, how important is it to Devin Booker that 
this guy and his one of his closest friends didn't get along. And how much do we have to worry about that as fans? Is that something that we even have to think about? It seems kind of dumb. These are these are coworkers, right? I don't know. What do you think, Sam? Well, yeah, you bring up great points all around. I think, unfortunately, when you're dealing with 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, it is something that you have to factor in. And I think the other thing that we have to look at when talking about Jimmy Butler's attitude, I think it's a little bit cliche to look at players who are uh, still not even 30 years old yet and say, hey, they don't fit the timeline. But we have to bring it up here in the sense that if Jimmy Butler comes here, the Suns have the capacity to create one max contract slot to re-sign him. They are not bringing in any other star players in free agency next year. So Jimmy Butler is committing to a future where he is going to grow alongside Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Is is he willing to go through some of the growing pains of going, you know, uh, having a couple guys be his main teammates carrying the team who are so young? Or would he rather just go to one of these teams that have uh, the potential to create as much as two max contract slots could maybe bring in another player of his own age who, you know, is tried and tested in the playoffs. A guy like Kyrie Irving who's going to be a free agent next year. Clay Thompson is going to be a free agent next year. Kemba Walker uh, is another guy. Chris Middleton names all around the board of good unrestricted free agents next year that Butler could potentially team up with in other spots as opposed to opting to go with such a young core and, and try to grow alongside them. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting conversation. I think that overall... It's we're probably it's not going to happen. Let's just say that one. I don't know that we have the assets that they even want, anyways. Uh, so I, I'm not sure that we have to worry about that. And maybe maybe we do actually, because Josh Jackson wouldn't be a bad fit <laughs> on that Minnesota team. Now, it's just a question of if it's worth it for the Suns. Now, the other thing that we can talk about too is he's not quite on the same timeline as as the rest of the guys. He's an older guy, so when he starts. Uh, getting a little older if we sign him to that five-year deal is it worth having all that money tied up in a jimmy butler contract but the argument that i've seen online and it, it does get to me is if not now when what at what point it's and yes it seems like clockwork every year one or two stars want to leave their team so maybe we just count on that uh happening again in the future but just because it's happened a lot now doesn't mean it's going to happen a lot in the future. So I understand both sides of this argument. And if I had to side with one, it would be no. I don't think it's a great idea. I think that we do have to worry about chemistry. We do have to worry about fit. And I don't want to piss off Devin Booker. He's our star that we've committed a lot of money to. So uh, in a sense, that's that's the main reason. Because like I said, from a basketball standpoint, it works. And if he's willing to come here, which we have no way of knowing, if he is though, then it would be worth it. So the Suns have some work to do to figure that out. Exactly. I I guess I don't agree with the side that wants to bring Jimmy Butler in, but I find myself sympathizing more and more with that group of Suns fans, as you just said, that says, if not now, then when? Because if we're serious about building a championship contender, we we can't just wait out the Warriors for five years and then up. All of a sudden, Devin Booker's max extension is over and he's ready to become an unrestricted free agent of his own and sign somewhere else. We just wasted his prime years. We have to be thinking about making serious moves to create a core around him. And the other part is, like, wh- who are the other stars that could potentially want out? There's there's the one obvious one that Bill Simmons loved, loves to talk about, and that's Anthony Davis. What if Anthony Davis becomes available? And And that's a fair thing to bring up. What if he does become available? Well, if he does become available, I can tell you one thing that'll happen. Every team in the NBA will be bidding on him because Anthony Davis is that level of talent. It's, there's no question 
Uh, there's no the way we have questions with Jimmy Butler right now. We would not have with Anthony Davis. We would be a hundred percent certain that Anthony Davis is a star. And if Anthony Davis is that star, everyone will be bidding on Mike, him. So the the chances of the Suns getting a guy are like you that are telling low. me that if everyone is bidding for Anthony Davis, a package centered around Josh Jackson and the Milwaukee Bucks pick <laughs> isn't enough to get a top tier talent like that. Exactly. Even if he's got half a year left on his contract, it's it's worth it to, to sign him. It, it, it just wouldn't work. It, there's just not a chance. So a guy like Jimmy Butler might be it. And, and if he's not it, then we really got to hope that the three guys that we have right now that we're building our team around end up reaching that max potential because that's what it's going to take for us to be a contender in the long term. They got to reach that potential, and there's no guarantee in that. Couldn't have said it any better. All right, last thing I want to bring up. Steve Nash, the legend was on the Bill Simmons podcast. Did you listen to that, Sam? Yeah, I listened to the full thing, and I think it's kind of funny because we roasted Bill Simmons a little bit on our last episode. Uh, But I do still like Bill Simmons. I like his contributions to the sport. He's written some great books about the history of basketball, uh, and I enjoy his podcast except for when he talks about the Celtics. So, of course, I was going to tune in (laughs) for a Steve Nash episode, and it, for the Mm -hmm. most part, was a great conversation. I think it's a little unfortunate. Not unfortunate. That's not the right word for it. It is a little bit bittersweet hearing Steve Nash talk about how he just likes to talk about soccer more than basketball as a huge basketball fan. Not that I don't also appreciate soccer, at least somewhat myself, but there's something bittersweet about that, right? This huge basketball legend, one of the, probably the top reason I ever got into the sport of basketball myself talking about, okay, let's transition the conversation from basketball. Now let's talk some soccer because that's, that's what I'm really doing with my career. And obviously Steve Nash can do whatever he wants with his uh, post-basketball career. I just find that a little funny. But when Bill and Steve were actually focusing on basketball topics, there was some really cool stuff that came up. Yeah, it was the first time I've really heard him have a conversation about the NBA now. You know, they talked about, of course, his time with the Warriors. They talked about Kevin Durant and some other things. But they also talked about the past. They talked about the seven seconds or less Suns. They talked about... What one thing I thought was interesting, they talked about pick and rolls and they talked about how Mike D'Antoni used to teach the screeners and him how to get defenders to go up and over the pick and roll so that Steve Nash could get down and into the paint. And that was just such a funny thing because that wasn't that long ago, right? That was, you know, 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago when it started. And to think now the whole goal is to try and get defenders to go under the pick and roll so that you could jack up a three. It's just everything's changed in such a short period of time. Um, But they also talked about what those seven seconds or less uh, se- seven seconds or less Suns teams would be like if they happened sort of in this modern Twitter era, and I thought that was an interesting conversation to think about, interesting thought experiment. Yeah, well, specifically they were talking about Sean Marion. I thought it was a really interesting sort of side note that they went off on, um, and talking about we all heard the rumblings of Sean Marion being unhappy in Phoenix in the mid two thousands about getting tired of being the guy who goes out there gets. And Sean Marion's one of my favorite players of all time, so this is in no way a slight against him, but about him being tired of going out there, getting you 20 points, 10 rebounds, a couple steals, a couple blocks, and then you go back into the locker room, the Suns win another game, and all everyone's talking about is you know, how Steve Nash is the MVP of the league, and, and Sean Marion really, especially in the seasons where Stoudemire was healthy, was playing third fiddle and, and felt like maybe he wasn't getting his due. Given that Sean Marion was raised in that sort of generation that was a little, for lack of a better term, maybe flamboyant, uh, you know, that whole Stefan Marbury, who he came up with, obviously, when they were young in Phoenix and Allen Iverson, guys like that. Would Sean Marion on Twitter 
have been a PR disaster for the Suns in the mid 2000s? Would that have been the type of thing that maybe could have even blown up the seven seconds team before it actually did happen in the 2007 2008 season? Yeah, I don't see. Here's the thing that I think wouldn't happen. I think that if anything, so I think Sean Marion, one of the reasons that he left the Suns is right because he didn't feel appreciated enough. Steve Nash made a point of talking about how the one skill that Sean Marion didn't really have is the ability to create his own shot in like a last second scenario. Funny thing about that is in the finals, he hit a last second shot against LeBron James. <laughs> so Sean Marion can do that in some scenarios and sometimes at the in the biggest stage. But I feel like if Sean Marion played today, he would be the sort of NBA Twitter nerds wet dream. They would Absolutely. love him. In fact, I think oh my God, he would be... Kidding? Yeah, he would be appreciated more than at any other point in NBA history. So I think that level of appreciation maybe wouldn't be the same. And maybe it even translated into into more money for the Suns. I would have loved to see you know him stay in that Shaq trade never happen. Uh, because, you know, uh, Sean Marion is just a better fit. Who knows what those teams could have been like? Maybe Sean, you know, Sean Marion probably plays center now. He does. He, he's probably at the center position in a lot of crunch time lineups. So... That would have been a really interesting team, uh, you know, to see in today's modern era. Uh, first of all, they would be going under or trying to force uh, screens under. Nash would shoot 15 threes a game, and Sean Marion would play center. <laughs> yeah, well, the natural <laughs> That'd be really interesting natural comparison that everyone makes is Draymond Green. I absolutely, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Sean Marion is a much better player than Draymond Green is now. Draymond has a playmaking advantage no doubt, but Sean's a better shooter. He's a better rebounder. I think they're equal defenders, quite honestly, or at least almost equal defenders, uh, and, and has such a great ability to hit the offensive glass, has such a great bounce to his step, so he can really just get an offensive rebound and then immediately go right back up uh, for a putback, and his cutting ability is just so far beyond what Draymond is capable of that, I yeah, I think Sean in today's NBA would be an absolute force. A hundred percent. He's more athletic than Draymond. I mean, he just yeah. is. He's faster. He can jump. He can jump higher. Uh, he's just got a different skill set. Yeah. That's a really unfortunate for him that he didn't, he did, wasn't born 10 years later. <laughs> yeah. And, and I still think he's getting his due and I, I still think he's going to be a hall of fame candidate. I don't know if he's going to get in or not. I certainly will advocate for him, but I think that's a question, a big question mark. First of all, we don't even know if, I mean, do you think Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire have to both get in the ring of honor at some point, right? The question is when. Yeah, I was just actually, I was just thinking about that. That that should happen sooner rather than later. Maybe both of those things this season. So uh, if you know anybody that works for the Suns, Suns fans, we should get on that. We should start promoting that because Sean Marion, he he holds a lot of records for the Suns and, and he was he was drafted here and, and Amari Stoudemire was too. And we should be promoting those types of things that happen. Those are some amazing players, and, and those are some of the best times to be a Suns fan. I'm actually... So get those guys in the I'm ring of honor. I'm curious what you guys, uh, as as listeners, think about that. Maybe we should start a poll on Twitter or something. It, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that these two guys are, are worthy when you look at the other people who are in the ring of honor that they should be in, right? I mean, I get that Nash was inducted first because he's the flashiest name and the greatest son of all time, but... Two MVPs. Yeah, two MVPs. He he might not be the best son of all time because you could argue Barkley's prime over Nash's. He is the greatest son of all time, though, I think, in, in terms of his overall, uh, all the years that he put in. But there aren't people out there who doubt that Marion and, and Stoudemire are deserving of this, I, I don't think. I, I might want to put that to the test. Yep, let's get him in, guys. 
I think. If you disagree, let us know why. But if you agree, let's tweet at the Suns. Let's let them know that those guys deserve to be in the You know, while we're on the topic of uh, the seven seconds or or less Suns, because we don't talk about it every episode, I just remembered this really interesting theory uh, that we got from a listener on Facebook that I want to bring up. Do you do you remember? What oh I'm yes, talking about? yes. Yeah. Bring so that this up. is from Steve McMacken. Uh, he messaged us on our Facebook page. We do have a Facebook page. I think we've mentioned it before. Um, so feel feel free to hit us up there anytime. We will respond. Uh, and his theory is that, well, so first of all, he he starts by saying that everyone knows that the problem with the seven seconds or less sons is that they had no depth, or at least not necessarily that they had no depth, but just D'Antoni would be so stubborn with these seven or eight man rotations, seven man rotations once you got into the playoffs. So they didn't draft or develop uh, these role players and rookies that really could have kept them going at the end of the season and deep into a playoff run. Steve's theory here is that Pat Burke was so underutilized uh, as a member of the Suns and, and really could have been a key role player if we had used him in a bit of a smarter way. He says, I think he was the original stretch five and was pressed into three minutes of utterly confused use- uselessness in the pivotal game five of the 07 playoffs, <laughs> which the Suns lost by three points. He played like a man who'd never played with the other people on the court, and I think it's because he really actually hadn't. But he was a very good three-point shooter in a league that did not know what to do with a center with a three-ball and at least serviceable as a traditional defender at center. If the Suns had actually taken the time to make him useful on the court uh, and it made the difference of one defensive play and one three-ball, I say the Suns would have won that series and the championship. And I think this is really interesting because Pat Burke is exactly the type of center where even though he had, in theory, a good three-point shot, if you tried to play him in today's NBA, it sort of would have been too late into the evolution of the NBA. You couldn't play him at the five because he'd be sort of like Ryan Anderson, this defensive matchup nightmare. But back then, 10 years ago, I think maybe it would have been the sweet spot where he would have been quick enough to be your small ball five, or not even a small ball five, just a traditional five, but at the same time would have been a good three-point shooter. You can play with a five-out offense. Who knows? I mean, I mean do you think there's any uh, merit to this theory that that pat burke should have played a bigger role on the seven seconds or less Suns. i have no idea but i love it (laughs) it's such a great theory as far as hot takes go saying pat burke could have won the suns championship is as spicy as it gets yeah it's just it's just amazing and i and i get exactly what you're saying and i love the the point you made about the era that they were in because pat burke was a big sort of plotting center that could shoot threes, which is a rare thing. It, it almost doesn't exist anymore because um, you have to be so fast to chase guys around. But in that era, he didn't have to guard Draymond Green. He didn't have to guard, you know, the the Amare was the closest to, to a forward playing center that existed, and they were on a team together. So the only one that could have been a problem for him uh, was on his team, so he didn't have to worry about it. So I, I love that as a theory. I have no idea if if it works out, um, but I kind of wish we could go back and test it out. And you know I love Pat Burke. I talk about him all the time. He's my Twitter handle. So Pat Burke could have won the Suns' championship. <laughs> we'll always have the highlights of, of him in that Kings game where he came in and just it was a blowout and he hit like four threes in the in the last two minutes. We'll always have that. Legendary. The crowd was going nuts. <laughs> Legendary. 
All right, I think we should end it there. Thank you, everybody, for listening to The Timeline. Uh, We had a great time on this one. Uh, I hope that I get to go to events like the State of the Suns events again and live tweet it. It was really fun to get you guys' instant reactions on Twitter. Uh, So definitely uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter if you want more stuff like that. Hopefully we can get it going. Uh, Thanks for listening, Sam. You got anything else? Uh, Nope, that's all. Thanks, guys, as always, for listening. And we'll see you again next week. We're almost at preseason basketball time, so get excited for that. We're ready to uh, start talking about some actual basketball. Hey, Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline Podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job. I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more Sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.